if you take both sides of everything that I just described, and you kind of mush it all together, you have the creative servant. This is the one unique life energy that has practically all of the characteristics of all the other life energies. These are the ones who sit in the middle and they are the interpreters of life. They are our artists. And our artists are the ones who understand what it's like to be adaptive and what it's like to be dynamic. They fluctuate between the two. Of the seven life energies, these are the most sensitive people. They're sensitive to their ambient energies. They're sensitive to the environmental energy, so they see colors more intensely. They hear sounds more intensely. The reason, that's the reason why they become painters, musicians, chefs. They smell things more intensely, taste it. Their senses are extremely heightened, extremely heightened, and they take in a lot from their environment. Creative assertors are like sponges, much like the dynamic supportive, but a sponge for everything, color, sound, thoughts, ideas, smells. And they take all of these things in, and they need time on their own in order to process this and then come out with creations. This is how they create. And creative assertives are extremely unpredictable people. They have an energy that fluctuates and it just doesn't... It, it, there's no predictability to it. If there was, they wouldn't be creative. You wouldn't, if you knew what an artist was going to do, it wouldn't be much art. They're unpredictable, and so they have a particular rhythm about them that doesn't coincide with what other people can do who have more of a sense of being able... Dynamics are always dynamic. Adaptives are always adaptive. Creatives, they kind of fluctuate. Sometimes they have an adaptive mindset. Other times they don't. They have a more dynamic mindset. Creatives tend to go through these shifts of time periods where they're really intensely involved in their artwork and they're not really interested in relationships. And then that shifts and moves away and then they find themselves really interested in their relationships and, and wondering what the hell they got over them and, and, and you know, why were they were so intensely involved in their artwork. And so they fluctuate back and forth between these two. And they have a difficult time in society because society says, look, you gotta, you gotta settle down somewhere and find this kind of pathway in life. And creatives, they, they have these up-downs, all over the place kind of energy. One minute they're up, the next minute they're down. One minute they're driven, the next minute they're depressed, melancholic. These are the type of people who always get labeled as something psychiatrically wrong with them. They're bipolar, they're manic. They're... No, these people have a special, unique type of energy that makes them very different from the other life energies that puts them in a place where they have a unique way of expressing themselves. In fact, uniqueness is the one thing that drives their life. Almost every creative assertive that I've ever spoke to has always said to me, I always felt different when I was a kid. I always felt different from the other people, from the other kids. It was always something different. And in fact, they spend their lives finding different things about themselves. You know, oh, my great-grandmother was Japanese, and that's why I'm different. Instead of, no, you're just different because you're this creative energy. They like uniqueness, and that's what they give us. Now, when, you, when you look around and you see the color of life, the design of life, the design of buildings, paintings, the clothing that we wear, the designs, creatives bring us these things. They point out the uniqueness of life. Creative assertives tend to be labeled as being contrary because you can sit with them, and if there's five of you, and one of them is a creative, you can look at an environment and everyone says, oh, isn't this such a beautiful environment? They'd say, but, you know, that's kind of ugly. You see that? That's ugly. <laughs> that thing down there. And it's like, what the heck? Why are you being so contrary? 
They're not. They're pointing out what you may have missed. Everyone would go, my God, it's such a terrible environment. And they would see a flower growing out of the crack in a sidewalk and paint a picture of it. Paint an image of it. They see what other people pass over. And that's why they bring us the art that they do. They tend to fluctuate between being extremely past-oriented, adaptive. Adaptives are very past-oriented. And very future-oriented. They have a difficult time being in the moment. <clears throat> Creative assertives are afraid to go into themselves. Because they're changing so much and so often, they're afraid that they won't understand who they really are. So they tend to be outwardly focused. They tend to look for other people to describe them. Say, what do you think? What do you think of my work? What do you think of me? Because when you have this changing state that's constantly changing about you, you, you tend to start thinking, well, who am I? One minute I'm this, next minute I'm that, I'm driven, then I'm depressed, and then I'm painting, and then I'm not, and I'm chasing. And you have this sense of, who the hell am I? I'm constantly always changing. How can I come up with a definition of myself? And that can be very scary for them. So they tend not to look inwardly, and hence they have a difficult time being in the moment. They're either in the past or in the future. Now, if they go into the past and they bring things from their past into the present as creative work, then it can be okay. But because they have such an amazing imagination and amazing memory, they can go into the past and get lost there and just be stuck there. And you have a difficult time bringing them out of it. And so, creative assertives are the sensitive people who bring us color in life. They bring us our art. They're, and they're amazing people to work with because they do the creative work. They are, they tend to surround themselves, they tend to surround adapt, uh, dynamic assertives. Now when we look at the larger scheme of things, dynamic aggressives tend to always have a lot of adaptive aggressives around them. Because they're the only ones that can really handle the drive of these people. These people do not like silence, they do not like quiet, they like action all the time. And so do these other people. So there's, they always have things going on. There's, you know, introspection, not necessary. Time alone, don't need it. Got things to do, places to go, people to see, networking to do. And so they work together great. They tend to always be around each other. Dynamic assertives, on the other hand, when they're doing bigger things in life, tend to be surrounded by creative assertives. When you had the protests of the 60s and 70s, you had these dynamic speakers who were challenging authority, and they were surrounded by who? Musicians. Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, all these people who were coming up with the poetry, painting their faces. But creative assertives are the biggest protest group. Nobody protests more than creative assertives. Creative assertives are not afraid to get out there and say, this is wrong. They're not, <laughs> they don't tend, they tend, they're not the dynamic people, they don't, but they understand when a dynamic stands up and says, this is wrong. They say, yeah, this is wrong, and we're going to do something about it. They'll write songs, they'll make movies, they'll write scripts, write novels. They will put the word out there. They handle the detail work that dynamic assertives have a difficult time handling. Much like dynamic aggressives need the dynamic aggressives, the adaptive aggressives to handle the detail. Dynamic assertives come up with the big visions of life. And creative assertives gather around and paint it for them, write it for them, put it out there for them. So these people work in tandem. They tend to work together very nicely. Now let's broaden it even bigger. Let's say we have a big corporation and it's run by a dynamic aggressive. This dynamic aggressive is in there running the whole thing. 
He'll have dynamic assertives come in and set up systems, this department, that department, this department. They will then hand that over to the creative assertives, and the creative assertives will actually design out how these mechanisms will run. The creative assertives take these blueprints and they'll give them to the adaptive aggressives, and the adaptive aggressives will make sure that every little bit of it gets done. The adaptive aggressives will hand the plans down to the adaptive assertives so that they can make sure all the details are being looked after, and at the end, the adaptive supportives lay it out. Keep it going. Do the little detail work that keeps the big company going. All of these people play a particular role. Dynamic supportives, they're there to help everyone get along. <laughs> They'll probably be the, the, the office in the corner with the therapist that you can go to or the counselor, whatever the case may be. <clears throat> dynamic supportives, most dynamics prefer to work for themselves. So a lot of dynamic supportives tend to be in the therapist's office, in a healing office, in a counselor's office, social worker. They like to have their own little environment where they can work one-to-one -one with people because that's what they love to do. So if there's anything within the corporation that handles things like that, a liaison or some, uh, some ombudsman or something, the dynamic supportive will be in that role to make sure that the mediation goes on between people. That's the seven life energies. Maybe you fit in somewhere, maybe not. But I figured I'd throw it at you so that you can understand that there is an alternative to looking at why you may be the way that you are, why you may have certain characteristics, and why the other people in your life who may not make that much sense to you may make a little bit more sense now. Why that driven person who never calms the hell down, and you're telling them, why don't you ever calm down? You need a tranquilizer or something. Maybe now you can understand, no, it's just a driven person. They have this driven energy. They don't like to be calmed down. They like to be on the go all the time, and they don't understand why you want to sit back and reflect in silence and quiet, take walks in nature. If you can understand the people in your life, that's why this is important. If you can understand yourself, then you can let other people know, look, this is the way I am. And you can understand other people, and you understand that's the way that they are, you can be more in harmony. And the greatest gift that this thing has given me for the last 10 years, uh, 10 years I've been teaching and studying this, is that I can understand people. And particularly as a dynamic assertive, I'm only 1% of the population, 99% of people, and I don't, I don't understand. Why the hell are you? Now I do. And I can be on their level. And I can even plan my life. Certain things I will do with certain life energies that I wouldn't do with other life energies. Certain conversations I can carry on with certain people because of their life energy that I wouldn't carry on with other people. There's more depth. There's more realness to the relationships and the friendships that I have with people because I can understand them on their level. And even if they don't understand me on my level, I can insist on who I am on my level without having to compromise that. Because you want to put a dynamic assertive on his, on his downside instantly, have him or her compromise. Dynamic assertive compromising their ideals will go onto their downside quickly. Now there's a lot of detail in the different life energies, so I'm only giving you an introduction. There's a downside and there's an upside. What happens on the downside or upside is very different. So there's a whole, the spectrum is a lot bigger than what I've presented. We don't have that much time left, but I'm going to flip to this final chapter. Now that I've given you all of this, I want us to take a look at certain things. Now we're really going down to the individual, going down to you and your life. <clears throat> With these insights, I want you to understand that you come into this world with a life energy. 
this life energy is influencing you and has always influenced you to gravitate towards a certain thing. There's always that nagging thought of what you'd like to be doing with your life. That's your life energy communicating to you. And that's what you're born with. And one of the first things that you have to do in life is you have to learn how to develop relationships. Relationships is your oldest skill in life. And the thing that you have been doing the longest in life is the one that you will have the greatest skill at. You better hope that you learn to do it in a functional, proper way. If you've been singing since the age of nine, you can become an amazing singer. And sometimes you hear popes and singers and, and you know, how long have you been singing? Oh God, I was singing when I was five years old. My dad used to put on the records and I used to sing along. And so I've always known that I was going to be a singer. The longer you've been doing something, the greater you will build up that skill. Your first priority in life when you come into this world is to develop relationships. Number one with your mother and your immediate surroundings. This is the oldest skill that you have in your life. This is the first thing you started out doing because it was your first necessity. Not to sing, not to dance, not to write, but to form bonding relationships with other people who you really needed to take care of you. Now, if that skill was learned in a dysfunctional way, you can imagine what the outcome is going to be. Later on in life, you're going to be really good at having bad relationships, or you're going to be really good at having good relationships. So the first thing that you encounter as a skill coming into this world is how you develop relationships. And those relationships will happen between your siblings, your parents, and those relationships will cause you to develop belief systems about the world. If you're beaten, the world is a violent place. If you're constantly praised, the world is a wonderful place where you can do things and you'll be supported. If you're criticized, you better be careful what you do. You can end up being a perfectionist. So you end up developing these belief systems about yourself based on the relationships that you've had throughout your life. And you reinforce these, because once you learn how to do something in a particular way, you'll continue to do it in that way. You don't know any other way of doing it. It becomes your skill. A lot of people, a lot of people, in fact, nowadays are not even surprised when they find themselves repeating relationships, going into the same old job. Oh, I do this all the time. Oh, it always ends this way. It's not even a surprise anymore. It used to be, you know, a long time ago, people used to be, you know, they needed someone else to point it out, like, you notice you're kind of doing this again? What do you mean? You know, it's, you know, the last boyfriend seems to be similar to this new boyfriend. And they're like, oh, I didn't notice. Nowadays, people know, like, damn it, I'm doing it again. <laughs> you go into the same job, and it's like, oh, my God, I'm here again. You always think it's going to be different this time. Uh-uh. Not if you're using the old skill. If you paint a picture in a particular way with a particular style and a particular brush, and the next time you do it, you have the same canvas, the same paint, the same brush. How do you expect to have a different outcome? You design, you build up a certain skill in a certain way, you're going to have the same outcome. So these relationships that we encounter throughout life, they build up our belief systems. What we believe about ourselves and what we believe about the world around us. And later on in life, with these beliefs, with these relationships, which we rebuild, by the way. You can be a child, you can have a particular relationship with certain people in your life, and you'll be an adult, and you'll have similar relationships 
that are similar to the ones that you had earlier in life. And as a therapist, I see this all the time. When I'm dealing with people and they're trying to figure something out, next thing you know, we're talking about Aunt Betty. And how she spanked you when you were five years old, or how she criticized you, and now your boss reminds you of her, and oh my God, my best friend is just like my mom. We redevelop these connections later on in life as adults. And so we carry on these belief systems. And so we use these two to create our life circumstances. Our life circumstances that we find ourselves in are made up of what we believe we should or should not, can or cannot have, and who we should or shouldn't be with, can or can't be with.